Mac Power Users, episode 537, The Photos Field Guide and Apple Photos. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by my fellow co-host, the one, the only, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Wow, that was enthusiastic. I kind of like that. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling good today, man. You feeling should be. Good. You got yeah. a big week. Ah. <sighs> Yeah. So sometimes you do these field guides and they're easy and sometimes they're not. This one was not. <laughs> yeah. For our after show today, we're going to talk about the process you went through. Cause I, cause you know, behind the scenes, I feel like you and I have been talking about this one forever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I started, I started on the outline over a year ago. Yeah. So just so you know. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll get, we'll get to that, but yeah, we're talking about Apple photos kind of going through some of the stuff in your field guide. Of course, it is an amazing piece of work. I, I don't know how you put these things out. They're so detailed, but so easy to follow. You do, you do such a great job. But it's, it's just so interesting that photos has become this really core element to the to being in the Apple ecosystem. And, you know, we had like iPhoto way back, I think in 2002 when it was introduced and it evolved. And the whole idea then was, well, you have a digital camera and you import your photos and then you can print your photos, right? And yeah. we're so far away from that now. I mean, I have multiple ways to take pictures. They're all connected to the internet, right? There's, there's, It's so much more complex than it has been. And Apple has graduated from iPhoto into photos. And we're going to kind of talk through that. But And just looking at your field guide and preparing for the episode, I was like, this is so much bigger and so much more important than it's ever been. Yeah. So, so the news is I have a new photos field guide. It's a second edition. So it's a new purchase. It's 128 videos, six plus hours. This is a new one for me. This is the longest field guide I've ever released. And it's really because it's two field guides. It covers the whole, uh, the whole enchilada, both on iPhone and iPad, but also on Mac. So whichever platform you're using, you've got everything you need, or if you're using both, you've got, you know, basically two field guides in one. Mm -hmm. And uh, it came out really great. I'm super happy with it. And now it's for sale. So we'll put a, a link in the show notes. There's an introductory price of $25 and it'll go up to 30 in a week. So if you're interested, please go check it out. And I, I really appreciate your support. Uh, this is one that I think is not only good for Mac Power users listeners, but also for Mac Power users, listeners, friends, and family. Yes. I did try and keep in mind because uh, I know a lot of people take pictures who don't necessarily care about Apple script. So I, uh, <laughs> I built this field guide for anybody, and I, and I hope that uh, you guys enjoy it and, and can share it with some folks, and I do appreciate your support. And, and we'll talk about that in the after show, because it was quite a process. I used a lot of apps to make it, and we'll talk about that workflow at the end of the show. But the show today is actually not about me sitting here talking about my new field guide, but just the Photos app in general and what it has become over the last several years. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start, because, well... But let me back up one second. This is one of those things that's kind of hard to talk about because Apple gave it a very generic name, right? Yeah. <laughs> like we're talking about you mean photos. Like everything they make. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apple TV, you know, Apple Music. But the Photos app on the Mac, there's a Photos app on iOS and iPad OS. There's iCloud Photos, which is sort of the glue between them. We're gonna do our best to like make that clear as we go, but give us some grace if if uh <laughs> we stumble on this name a little bit. It's because it's it's too generic. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the big problem is if you look historically, and I even talk about this in the field guide, when I was a kid, I remember 
my family, we didn't have a lot of money and we basically did two rolls of film a year. I think that was kind of our usual, like there was the roll of film that we took throughout the year. And then Mm -hmm. usually in December, we got another roll of film, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you look, you know, when my parents passed away, I was looking through all their pictures. There's like every year, there's like a picture of me in front of a cake or some presents on my birthday you know, and that was my birthday picture, you know, and, and for my sisters, it was the same thing. Or maybe there was an Easter picture and maybe a picture of us in our Halloween costumes. It was just not that many pictures because you had to buy the film. You had to pay to get it developed. And it was such a crapshoot back then with the quality of cameras, whether the pictures were even going to be usable. Um, and then usually at Christmas, you got another role. But so we didn't have that many pictures to manage. And back then, the shoebox or the photo album was an absolutely valid way to manage your photos. And I think when Apple started with iPhoto, they were still in that mindset a bit, you know, where it was a tool made to manage photos. But I don't think they'd fully realized how crazy people were going to go with taking pictures now that it was instantaneous and you could shoot as many as you want without cost. Right. And in fact, the early versions of iPhoto, they used the terminology of like roles. Right now we have yeah. albums and smart albums. We're gonna get to all that today, but the primary way you organized in iPhoto was camera rolls. It was trying to digitize that concept, and you compare that to now. Thinking about you know my kids. I mean, I got forty. Let's see, I've got forty-two thousand items in my photo library. Forty, excuse me, forty-eight thousand items in my photo library. I've got thousands of pictures of my kids. Right, and it's just so amazing to me like even in my childhood to theirs how quickly this is this stuff has changed uh, i mean it's just crazy i was one of the things i did in the field guide a challenge was i had all these shots planned for disneyland right oh uh, yeah <laughs> but they closed and you know we have this pandemic so instead you get a bunch of pictures of my family and my dog and my library so i, I tried to make it fun but at one point my wife sat was sitting on the ground and the dog sat in her lap And I took more pictures of her in that one little photo shoot while she was just being cute with a dog than were taken of me in my birthdays in my entire childhood. Yeah, exactly. And that is not an exaggeration, you know? (laughs) And, you know, as a result, I have a 50,000 photo library. And I actually used my own library for the field guide Mm because I felt like people need to see how it works with a big library. Having like a sample set of 200 photos isn't really being fair to the customer because you've got to see how it works with a big library but it's just crazy how many pictures we take and i think apple um although they started with iphoto and the idea that the the mac was your digital shoebox you know the iphone and evolution caught up with them where it's like no now people want their photos everywhere and they're going to take a lot more of them and by the way cameras get better every year and the file sizes increase exponentially as a result right we're shooting 4k video now with things that are in our pockets yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Like it's unbelievable. It really is. I, I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk a little bit about our own kind of journeys with photo storage and management. Sure. And I know that you actually are kind of a latecomer to Apple Photos, relatively speaking. I, I am. For a really long time, I would import everything into Dropbox. And I would have basically subfolders as albums. So I'm a, I'm a huge album organizer. That's how I organize my library today. So I would have a bunch of folders. So like a folder for each one of my kids, a folder for 
bikes, a folder for plants. I don't know, a folder for computers. That was the most, yeah. uh, that was the biggest one, as you could imagine. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, if my kids hear this, I'm sorry. There's more pictures of you than my computers, I promise. And I did that because it let me have access to them all as files. I never really was a big iPhoto user. I basically always used things just in the Finder. But eventually, the benefits of the Photos application won me over. I was just really uh, shy about it. I had some issues with iCloud syncing in the very early days. Like the first, basically when they first rolled it out, it was a little iffy. And so I was nervous about that. So I stayed in, in my Dropbox system until really only a couple of years ago where I finally made the jump to photos. Yeah, see, I was in iPhotos early, and I I was fine with it. Although, for many, many years, I had a regular task to export all my photos or my most recently taken photos into this growing uh, export archive. And I set it up with a Hazel rule, so it would just automatically sort them by month and year. So I'd have all my pictures in a folder that were uh, sorted by date taken into month and year via Hazel. And then I would save that to um, Dropbox or whatever I was doing my backups on at the time. And it was just kind of like this belt and suspenders thought. And we're going to talk about backup later. But to be perfectly honest, Stephen, I don't do that much anymore. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I ran that export script because I've got all these different backups I do now that are, are kind of different. But there was always this underlying fear that, you know, they're going to do something. I'm going to lose a bunch of photos. And but I think some people are are uncomfortable with the the idea that your images are all sort of locked away in a database. Like behind the scenes, that's what photos is. It's a big database of images. And some people, and I, I totally understand this because I it's how I operated until pretty recently. They want to yeah. be able to put their hands, so to speak, directly on the image files themselves. Yeah. I mean, and that's the most portable method for digital photos. I mean, mm -hmm. if they're just in folders with their images, if you decide to switch to Windows next week or Unix or whatever, um, you can take that folder with you on any platform and have them in the exact same sort. But like you said, there there were problems that needed to get solved, and, and photos solves them much better than the traditional folders. Oh, yeah. It's, it's way more dynamic. As, as we get into some of the organization stuff you can do, you can overlay all these organization types to really drill down. And ultimately, if you just have them in Finder, at the end of the day, you just have a bunch of files. And that is limiting in a way when it comes to search and discovery. And this is something that I think it's a running theme through the field guide, but it's something that really kind of hit home for me as I was making all these videos is the thing that Apple originally made iPhotos to do was to, to hold your pictures for you, to hold and allow you to organize your pictures. The thing that Photos seems to be doing, that one of the fundamental premises of this app is to help you find pictures, to unearth pictures for you. Because with a 50,000 photo library, I'm not an outlier. I mean, anybody with kids is up in the you know multi-thousand picture library. And the uh, the big problem is you get so many pictures that it's not like my parents' days where you look through the album and say, oh, there's the picture of David when he was seven. No, it's like, how do I find those pictures when he was seven? Because there are so many of them. Mm -hmm. And Apple has added many things to photos that allow you to discover your own images. And I think that's one of the things that they did really well with photos over the last few years. Agreed. Totally agree.
Now, there are differences. You know, we've got the Photos app for the Mac and the Photos for iPhone and iPad. And that that's really, as I mentioned earlier, was the big challenge with this course is ultimately I decided I had to make two courses because there are people that use one or other platform exclusively and some people use them both. But you should know kind of going in that they're not entirely identical. There are things that one platform is better at than the other. Mm-hmm. The the way I view it as someone who uses this on both platforms is I tend to do the heavy work on the Mac and not so much on iOS, you know, iPhone and iPad. But in going through your course, like clearly there are people who don't think that way, who may only use this on an iOS device, whose only computer may be an iPad, right? And so Apple's done a good job at doing what it can to keep them pretty similar. I think the Mac has some strengths here that, that iOS doesn't, but the the opposite is also true. Yeah, and when you say the heavy work, if you're talking about like editing images, I, I do just the opposite. I find that I edit images with an Apple Pencil and iPad better mm-hmm. than I do on a Mac. But, but they, they've done a good job of parody there. But to me, some of the things that really stand out, and probably the biggest one that stands out for the Mac as a plus is library maintenance and management. And that is more a result of the file system on the Mac than the actual Photos app. We'll talk about backup later, but for instance, on the Mac, you can just make a backup of your Photos library just by dragging it and, you know, copying it onto an external drive and you've Mm -hmm. just backed up your library. Yeah. And you have things like, uh, power photos power. You got, yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that, about power photos. Power photos is a third party app. They have occasionally sponsored my blog. I don't think they've ever sponsored the show. So full disclosure, I've been paid by them in the past, but I'm a big fan of them. It's the same guy that made the iPhotos. I forget what it was called. It was like Power iPhotos. I forget what the name of the app was, but he also made an app for iPhotos back in the day. And it's a single developer who just wants to give you library tools for uh, photo management. And with that tool, it gives you a bunch of tools you don't get with the photos library. So like if you're a photographer and you want to have different libraries for different events, this, this tool helps you do that. It's also got a duplication tool that you find duplicates and just it gives you a bunch of library maintenance stuff that you just don't get with the typical photos app, but it's only on the Mac. And I I can't imagine how you would be able to manage a library on the iOS device. I don't think Apple would give you that kind of access. Oh yeah. There's, there's no way. Another thing that you can do at least easier on the Mac is importing from physical media. So if you have images on an SD card or you have something, uh, so like one thing I've been doing sort of recently is, A while back, another family member scanned a bunch of family images and we got them on optical media. And so I ended up spending a couple of days, uh, it's been a few months now, of, you know, opening those CDs, pulling the images off and putting them in my wife's photo library. That's not a huge use case, but one that you definitely can't do on an iPad. Yeah, even though the iPad has USB-C support for external uh, file devices, and I haven't tested this, but I'm pretty sure if you plug in a super drive, it's not going to know no, what the heck to I don't do with think it. it's going to. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have a super drive? Do you oh, still yeah. have one? Oh, yeah. I need one on occasion, you know? I do. My kids use them to watch DVDs, and it just makes me crazy. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, um, so, yeah, you're right. So that library maintenance 
type stuff. You can do some of it on iOS. I cover it in the field guide. If we get time, we'll talk about it in today's show, but it's just superior on the Mac. Like you want to say, let's say you want to put your library on an external drive. It's Mm -hmm. easier on the Mac. Another super useful tip I think everybody should do if they can is have a full copy of their library. And we're going to talk about iCloud later. And iCloud's great that Apple stores these pictures in the cloud so you can access them everywhere. But there's something to be said for having at least one computer in your life where all of those images are downloaded. And you can do that on iOS now, surprisingly, but it's a lot easier to do it on the Mac. And with a Mac, you can just hang an external drive on it and point your library at it. And very easily, no matter what Mac you have, so long as you've got that drive attached or enough internal space, all of your images downloaded. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's how my my wife has hers. Her MacBook Air drive was full, and it was a lot of photos, and so I did an external SSD for her. So she yeah. doesn't have her photo library on the machine, but it's on that external SSD, and we'll have a support document in the show notes so you can see how to set that up. We've talked about it before, but it's really seamless, and it photos on the Mac gives you that sort of Mac flexibility that we would come to expect, right, where iOS it kind of is what it is in a lot of ways. But the Mac app, I'm really glad to see that it inherited a lot of the stuff from iPhoto and other just good Mac media apps let you do this library management. Yeah, and this is a great case for buying an external SSD. You know, if you're if you're doing a super-duper clone backup, don't spend the money on SSD. But if you're going to put your photos library on an external drive, get the fastest, baddest SSD you can get your hands on. So let's let's talk a little bit about the Photos app on iOS, because there are some features that are better or even only present on iOS, uh, including, I think the biggest one is video editing, which you can do on iOS. You can do it on an iPad with filters and colors. It's, It's very similar to the tools you get when you edit a photo. And if you go to edit a photo, a video on the Mac, all you really have is trimming. So you can remove the beginning and end and, and sort of uh, tidy up a clip, but there's none of that other editing available to you. I think that was one of the biggest mic drops Apple did last year with photos is they said, you know, we've got this great edit suite and just for a little historical context, right? Apple had two applications, iPhoto and Aperture and iPhoto was the consumer level product and Aperture was the professional level product and Aperture had superior organizational tools. It was kind of, it came along later in the process. So they understood that we have a lot of digital photos and it had some superior editing tools. And then they, Apple basically stopped both products and came out with this kind of hybrid in the middle photos. And over the years, Apple has been kind of increasingly adding features to photos that were either in Aperture or even beyond what Aperture had. And the Mac always led the way. So, you know, when we first got, you know, cool editing tools on on the Mac, you didn't necessarily get them all on the iPhone, but the parodies kind of caught up. And then last year, Apple says, hey, by the way, all these great things you can do with your photos, um, like exposure adjustments and, you know, all, you know, white balancing and, and just this whole host of utilities and tools you have, you can do that to your videos now too. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 4K video, color correction, you know, on your phone. Mm-hmm. And but, but not on my Mac Pro. The, yeah, the, that's the remarkable thing is that feature did not, for whatever reason, make it to the Mac. And I would be surprised. In fact, I fully intend to be updating this course 
it'll be a free update. Don't get hung up on that. Um, uh, but after WWDC this year, and I hope that one of the things I can do is add a whole series of videos on editing video on the Mac, because right now the video is like, go use your iPad, you know mm-hmm. I mean? But so it's cool. There, there's some features in there that just aren't there otherwise. And, uh, and that's nice. Yeah. It's come a long way on the mobile devices and especially on the iPad where you get the pencil, you get this larger screen to work on. I do find that editing really enjoyable. When I said a second ago, I do the heavy work on my Mac. That's more the organizational issues. Gotcha. But yeah, absolutely on the iPad, it's fantastic. And I agree with you. I think the video editing will come to the Mac. We've seen this before with photos and even other Apple apps and services where one platform will get something and the, the other platform will get the next year. Like maybe it wasn't quite ready. And so I would expect that we get that, but it is really spectacular to have 4k video that you, the exposure you botched a little bit and you can just fix it on the go. Like to even do that on the Mac. Now you need something like iMovie or final cut and, but have it in photos where everyone has access to it would be really cool. And I I think Apple will do it. Yeah. It's just shocking to me that it came to the iOS devices first because Mm -hmm. your phone goes in your pocket and people used to pay um, like thousands of dollars for color correction tools for video. Oh Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> and and you'd have to wait, right? The other thing is yeah. it, this really shows off how powerful Apple's hardware is because it is super fast. It, it previews for you. I mean, you see it as you apply it. It's crazy. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I forgot about that. It used to when you do a color correction, it would render before you could see yeah. if it worked or not. It's like, did I overdo it? I don't know. We'll find out in a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Devin Think the flagship product from Devon Technologies. DevonThink is a professional document and information management application for the Mac. It helps you collect, file, organize, edit, and annotate all kinds of documents so you can reach digital organizational heaven. Archive all of your email with the Enhanced Email Archiver. Scan your paper documents with the revised scanner interface and you can even imprint PDFs with custom stamps before giving them out to others. Organize your documents in any way you want. Smart Groups lets you create different views on your data, and integrated AI assists you with filing and searching. You can automate your workflow by creating smart rules and adding flexible reminders to any document. This even lets non-programmers like me easily automate many parts of the workflow. So you can delegate the boring, repeating task of managing your documents over to DevonThink. And finally, sync your data securely between your devices using your preferred web storage or even directly over your local network. And take your data with you with DevonThink's iOS companion app. You can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now. Just go to devontechnologies.com mpu that's devontechnologies.com slash MPU for 10% off. Our thanks to Devon Technologies for their support of the show. All right. So we talked earlier that, you know, photos is supposed to do a lot more than just organization, but organization is still very much on the plate for mm-hmm. photos. And there's a lot that you need to do these days in terms of organization because the sheer volume of pictures we're taking. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, going back to what you said earlier, in the old days, you found the shoebox label 1977, and those were the photos. 
And yeah. now there's interspersed with everything else. Photos does a lot of heavy lifting for us, which I think is honestly one of its best features is this sort of self-organization that it can do. At the very baseline, it can automatically sort by media type. So you have albums for photos, you know, selfies, videos, live photos, uh, panoramic, yeah, you name it, on yeah. and on. There's there's like almost a dozen of these. Screen recordings is a pretty new one. Yeah, and you can use these to do some really rough organization, but you can go a lot further if you want. Yeah, and I do think one of the reasons they went so far with this is because kind of a failing with the Photos app on iOS is uh, you've got this great smart album technology on the Mac, which you don't have on iOS. But I think what they looked at is a lot of the media types were probably traditionally people would create a smart album, so they just created them for you. Mm -hmm. But other big ways that Photos indexes um, your images, and this is even smarter really, is the people and places tabs. So uh, photos does facial recognition, which has been going on for a while. I believe they even had that feature in iPhoto of memory serves towards the they end. They did a, a basic version of it. Yeah. But it, it's just come so far over the years now where it does a really good job of grouping your pictures by people. And it just makes it so easy to, um, to go and, and find an image like so often, like it's somebody's birthday or something. We're making something for them. We want to get a good picture of them in the old days. It was really a pain in the neck to go find pictures of that person in all the various albums or roles, and then like figure out which were the good ones. Whereas with this people index, you can just click on their face and then get all the pictures of them mm -hmm. and start working from there. Yeah. And you can, you can train it. You can say, yes, Jason is in the, you know, these photos and, if you go back into it later, the system will find and suggest additional photos that it thinks are that person. And you can, you know, give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So it gets smarter and better over time, which is, which is really cool. And this syncs between the platforms. Initially it didn't, uh, but, but now it does. And the thing that really impresses me, so I've got three kids, their whole lives are in my photos library and it does a pretty good job at getting to like telling the kids apart as they grow up. So like, for instance, my two boys were like carbon copies of each other when they were born, except for their hair color. But like as babies, they look the same and photos is good enough to know the difference between the kids. It's, it's really impressive. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And the first, you know, when you first install photos on your device or you first set up your library, it takes a day or two to grind through. In fact, one of the things I recommend in the field guide is, got a new phone just leave it you know plugged in and let photos kind of do its work in the background for the first day or two as much as you can but it does carry that data over and it you know that stuff is just super useful mm -hmm. so so to make adjustments to it you can there is a setting in there where it will show you a bunch of additional pictures where it's not sure but it may think it's somebody and you give it a thumbs up or thumbs down for each image it's a very fast process to go through so you can do additional training. But to be honest, I haven't done much additional training because it does the job for me. Yeah, I do very little. I mean, occasionally I'll open it just to like see what's going on, but it, it does a really good, fantastic job. One thing that I think is nice about this is this is one of those features in photos that not only gets better over time, 
But again, it gets better without much input. If you spend a little time at the beginning giving it some names, it kind of takes the ball and runs with it. Yeah, and it doesn't just work on digital pictures. I mean, we've got a bunch of scanned images from our family and, uh, you know, growing up, whatnot, they've been added to the library. It, it doesn't care. You know, I mean, like with GPS data is something where it becomes kind of a pain in the neck when you bring in old images. The face stuff you get for free on every image you put on your library. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about places or GPS as well. Uh, the iPhone was the first camera I ever owned that had built-in GPS. Same. And I didn't know if that would be useful or not to me. And it turns out for me that it is incredibly useful. I really enjoy having that GPS data attached to my photos because, again, for purposes of discovery, you know, we go to Hawaii every four or five years and it's one of my favorite places in the world. And sometimes I'm feeling sorry for myself. I just want to go look at Hawaii pictures. <laughs> I can do that. I can just do it through GPS and I can say, well, one year we went to Maui and one year we went to Oahu. So, I want to see the Maui vacation. Mm -hmm. I'll just click on Maui and it, it takes me there. And it's just such a great feature. And I think that as I, uh, as I get older, I really like seeing where these pictures were taken. I think I'm just, it's just the data nerd in me. Oh yeah. And, and I'm the same way. The iPhone was the first one for me. And one trick that I do is cause I still shoot on a quote unquote big camera. You know, I shoot on, I've got a couple sure. of Sony's. The trick that I do is, if I'm somewhere and I'm going to shoot on one of those cameras, I take a shot with my iPhone first. So I have the GPS information uh, to tag those photos later. And you can tag them in photos itself. You can edit that information. Uh, I also really like Huda Geo. Is that yeah. how, we going? That's how we're going to pronounce it? I think, yeah. Um, Same guy who makes Huda Spot. Yes. Uh, so Huda Geo lets you import a bunch of photos and basically copy and paste GPS information between them. So I can bring in my iPhone photo and my 25 photos from my Sony, and they'll all match. When I add them to my photo library, they all show up from the same place and same time and everything. Yeah. And in fact, Huda Geo, if you're really going to go down the rabbit hole on this, is a great app because you can buy a GPS like um, pocket device. You know, it's like the size of a like a car clicker you mm -hmm. can just stick in your pocket and you turn it on and it will log your GPS location for you. And then you can plug that into your computer. It'll download that log and who geo will match up the logged uh, GPS data to the pictures. So just make sure you've got the time synced correctly on your camera, but it'll automatically apply all that GPS. Cause the, the method you're talking about is one I usually use where um, I just get it off a picture or even like, Sometimes, like when I take the fancy camera to Disneyland, I'll just put in the location for Disneyland. And it's like the center of Disneyland, and all these pictures are logged in that specific location. Now, I get it. It's not actually on the Jungle Cruise. You know, that's where the picture was taken. Right. But it's close enough, you know. So you can do that. But with Geo, you actually, and a GPS logger, you can do that. There's also some third-party apps where you can run an app on your phone I'm not as big of a fan of that, though, because it really drains the battery to be running a GPS log on your phone. So make sure you have an external battery or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So there are ways to get your sort of traditional digital photos into this system. But then you combine these and say, show me pictures of Daisy and pictures of Daisy in Maui. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I've got all the pictures of my wife on our Maui trip. And then, and the, I guess the search in general is 
just kind of amazing. We'll talk about it later, but one of the things they've done in recent years is allow you to combine search tokens. And suddenly it's just so much more powerful for discovery. There's also a feature called favorites, which I want to know how you use this in a second, but favorites basically lets you add a little heart to an image or a video and it gets pulled out into this special album. And this album is shows up across all your devices. And on the Apple Watch, you can set a watch face to to use these photos. It's great to quickly find, you know, maybe you have, for instance, I have my, like the headshot that I use on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. I have that in my photos library and I have it as a favorite. So I don't have to go digging through a bunch of albums. I just know that, hey, it's in favorites and I can find it find it real quickly. Is that something that you find useful? Yes. Yeah. I'm a big fan of favorites on, I mean, I think it works better on photos than it does in music. Yeah. You know, in music it's a like or, or I dislike, I think is the term, mm-hmm. but it's, it's binary. It's a one or a zero. I, uh, historically in iPhoto, there was a star system up to five stars. And I overthought that when it was an iPhoto, you know, like, one would be photos that I don't want to keep. And two, it's like I had all these, like in my head, all these criteria for stars. And I would go through and spend all this time starring the photos. And honestly, I just want to find the ones I really like, you know? I mean, why would I one star a picture I don't want to keep as opposed to just deleting yeah, it, right? I, I, I felt, mean, what's wrong with me? I fell down that hole too in the old <laughs> system. I never did it successfully. It's like, I don't know what this is. Is it two or three yeah. stars? Yeah, exactly. What's the difference between four and five stars? So, so you have your favorites and, uh, it's great. And I actually use it kind of also as a temporary space. Like sometimes the more recent pictures are heavily weighted towards favorites, but in a couple of years I may, you know, take some of them out. I mean, um, we, you know, I, I think I've mentioned on the show, we, we got a dog like a month before the whole pandemic thing, because I was home alone all the time. I wanted a friend. And then all my family came home. My mm-hmm. wife got laid off. My kids are are home from school. You know, it's like, okay, so now we're all home with this dog. But all of a sudden, I've got all these dog pictures of my favorites. I suspect in a few years, th- that'll thin out, you know. But right now, <laughs> yeah. I can't stop looking at this dog. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so favorites, you know, it, it's very easy. And, and one of the things they did right with it is they made it super easy to apply. Like the period, you may not have a keyboard shortcut, just hit the period if you're in on the Mac and you have a picture you like hit the period, it turns into a favorite. So you've got these uh, very quick ways. And on the iOS devices, they've got that heart everywhere, everywhere the picture appears, you've got the ability to favorite or unfavorite, it, including the favorites menu. So it just makes it really easy to turn that on or off. So uh, I, I highly recommend taking advantage of that. Yeah. You know, I probably have three dozen photos in my favorites thing. And it, like you said, it changes over time, but it is very useful if you know, hey, I need access to this over the next little while. So uh, sort of a real world example that I've used in the past is like picking your kid up from summer camp and you need to show like the pickup tag. Well, you're supposed to have it on you, but I'll always like take a picture and put it in favorites in case I've, you know, left it in the other car or something. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It can be a a temporary uh, system just to get you through a short period of time. Because you can always get to favorite photos on any device very quickly. Mm -hmm. I I do the same thing. Like if I've got to go to, you know, pick up a pizza and I've got the receipt, that'll be a favorite for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I do with it, and I'm actually going to change this because of the the way my house has been reorganized. Now my studio is 
in a more common area of the home where people walk past it. It's not in the room, separate room. So I've, I'm actually using a screensaver for the first time. I haven't used a screensaver in over 10 years for sure. But I thought, well, hey, I've got this beautiful screen on this desk, people walking by it all day. Why don't I put up a bunch of fun family pictures? And I just added a bunch to favorites and I made the screensaver look at favorites. I'm actually on my list of things to do is I'm going to make that a, a dedicated like picture gallery album mm-hmm. because I now I have, I have too many favorites. It's bothering yeah. me. So, but the, um, it, it is very useful. And, you know, going back to my earlier, earlier scenario of trying to find a good picture of Daisy in Maui, I would say, look for Daisy in Maui. That is a favorite. And now suddenly I've only got the favorite pictures of her from Maui. And um, that's just a great way to go from 50,000 pictures to two. Yeah, I think what we're getting at here is that you can layer these organizational tools atop each other. And just because, I mean, a single photo can be a favorite or not. It can have GPS data. It can have face data. And then you can put it into albums, which is really the primary way that I organize things. I've got probably over a hundred albums. I'm looking through my sidebar now. A lot of them, a lot, a lot of albums. You can put them in folders. So one thing I have like a wallpapers folder and then I have like different types of wallpapers Yeah, in different albums. So you can, you can kind of cl- collapse and expand those as you need. And I know not everybody wants to spend the time doing that. For instance, my wife, she doesn't really use albums at all. She basically just uses search and, and that is how she thinks about photos. But I really like the sort of the manual organization aspect of it. I can see how that would push all of your buttons, Mm -hmm. but I actually recommend in the field guide that you should consider whether you want albums for real, because I feel like for a lot of people and the current existing tools, you know, all of this metadata we've talked about albums may not be necessary. My daughter wanted to cook my mother's apple pie the other day. And so my mom hand wrote out this apple pie recipe. It's kind of a family thing, right? My mom's been gone a long time. So we needed to find a picture of the recipe because the, the, uh, the, the actual recipe book is fading out. You know, her, the ink she used is, is fading. But I had taken pictures of all this and I have it in my album library. I did a search for handwriting and it found it. I didn't even know if it would work, wow. but it found the, you know, it found it. So, um, but then I got thinking, well, why would I need all these albums when I found it with, you know, 10 seconds of search, mm-hmm. you know? So I do think it's interesting. I I can see how it'd be fun to kind of organize it. I think that as someone who's a nested folder kind of person, both of us kind of, we have that in common. It really reaches out to us, but I have to be honest, I am decreasing my use of albums a lot. I, I just don't see that I need it that much. You know, if I want the pictures of a parade at Disneyland, I'll type location Disneyland and parade and I'll probably get what I need. Absolutely. You know, I, I think the way I do it is is probably overkill and probably not super necessary. But I love it. But but infinitely satisfying. <laughs> but very satisfying. <laughs> I even have a smart album that is called Not in Albums. And so right now I have six things in my library that need to be filed. Oh, how can you stand that? I'll get to it. Um, but yeah, I do want to talk about... Do, do you want to pause the show right now? Yeah, so yeah. Let me go finish editing my library and I'll be back. Um, I do want to talk about smart albums. They are not on iOS. Maybe they could be at some point, but right now they're a Mac-only feature. And in the best kind of like smart foldery way, the conditions that can be mixed and matched are incredible. So you can pick the type of media, some bit of metadata about it. You could say, hey, 
I want all the photos that I took with this lens or set at this ISO. Yeah. And mix and match these things. And it's just, it's so, so powerful. It's amazing. You can combine them. I, I feel like that is a failing on i on iOS and iPad OS that I would really like to see corrected. Both Photos and Apple Mail have these great, powerful, smart search features mm-hmm. that just don't show up. They don't they don't even sync over. It's not like I'd say, well, okay, let me create it on the Mac, but still let it apply on my iOS device. But you don't even see them. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on, Apple. I know. Uh give me my smart folder. Uh, there's a trick to this on the iPhone or on uh, in photos in particular. I talk about this in the field guide is you can make a smart album and then copy the smart album results to a static album. Yeah. And then you'll see them on your iOS device, mm-hmm. but that's a static album. You know, if something else gets added that matches the criteria, you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I really wish that the, I mean, it's not like the A5, well, A5, A, A12 now I've lost track. Yeah. What are we on? 12, it's not, 13. It's like the A12 is not capable of running that type of computation. And I would assume that all the same metadata is in the image because the, it's a syncing engine. So you can access the image on your Mac or your iOS device. So it would see the same metadata. I just really don't know why they haven't done that feature. Yeah, I, I don't know why that's there. Maybe it's a UI issue. I wish it was, especially on the iPad. Like, there's enough room on the screen to do that. But it's it's a fantastic way to do it. I mean, right now, just while you were talking, I created a smart album of every photo taken by an iPhone 3G, right? And it's a bunch of photos yeah. from that time period, and they're all kind of bad. Uh, but, you know, it's it's you can really drill down and see these things where they are. But you could put iPhone 3G plus Mary mm-hmm. and you get all the pictures of your wife taken with an iPhone 3G. It's just, it's just, I don't know. The, the nerd in me loves that kind of power with no investments. You know, the old days of the iPhoto, I spent so much time tagging photos with metadata. It was crazy. And, and I don't know that I got the time back that I put into it. Mm. You know, you spend so much time creating the index. How much time do you spend searching it? But you get almost all of that for free now. Um, we haven't really talked about search terms, but they also do all this great machine learning on device where it pulls types of data like handwriting or dog or snow or mountain. So uh, traditionally where you would have to do tags for all of that or maybe swimming or ocean, uh, all that gets just gets added for free again now as well. So you could say, give me pictures of Daisy that are a favorite in Maui on the beach and I could, you know, once again, drill down very deep into an extensive library with just a few terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great. It's a great time really. I mean, for people that were there in the ugly days where we had to do all this manually, it's, it's almost hard to accept that you don't need to make the nested folders anymore. <laughs> it's an old school way of doing it, right? It's how my Dropbox finder system worked. And I basically brought it into photos but if I were starting from scratch, I think I would have some strategic smart folders and maybe call it a day. Not me, but that's my recommendation. I can't do that. I, get, I think for most people, that's fine. Yeah. There's another feature that um, is really, I think, a great solution that Apple's come up with with the problem of how do I find some good pictures? And that's what they call memories. And memories are machine learning created albums for you and it'll take a location like one of the examples i used in the field guide was seattle there it created one for me 
of pictures taken in Seattle because I have a friend up there. I went to his wedding a couple of years ago. I've gone up there for some conferences. So I've been to Seattle a bunch of times. And we've got these pictures over the years of my family and me uh, visiting Seattle. And it was just great running this album. You click on it, it gives you a collection of what it thinks are some of your best pictures from Seattle, but also generates simultaneously a movie of Seattle where it does a bunch of Ken Burns fades from picture to picture. It'll include video if it finds it of things taken in Seattle. And it's like, I just find, I can't get over how useful that is. It's not only just location, it also does date. It'll be like, you know, Christmas over the years, or it'll be two particular people together. It it just does a great job of finding different combinations or this day on this day. And I find that um, something that I use all the time. And you can customize them if you want. So you can change uh, the music and some other variables in those memories yeah. if you want to like take them and then kind of make it your own, which is really neat too. It's not just a, oh, my phone made this for me is that you can go in there and tweak it. Yeah. Well, I, I did one of the videos I did in the field guide was uh, photos on the Apple TV. We haven't even mentioned that there's a version of photos for the Apple TV. And um, when we have family over, particularly older family, see, I'm in the middle right now. I'm not young, but I'm not old. But I can already feel the gravity pull of of the memories button, right? Because I do like to look back at my kids when they were little. Mm-hmm. But my mother in law, that thing, you stick her on the couch and you give her the Apple TV remote and you just put the Apple Photos app on the memories tab. It's got different ways, you know, but memories is the one she likes. She will sit there for hours mm. and just go through those those albums or those memories. That's cool. Like she doesn't want to watch a movie when she comes to my house. She just wants to look at the pictures on the TV. <laughs> that's great. I mean, that's what these tools should do for us, right? They should bring up these things that would otherwise be buried in a photo library. It's the whole point of this all being so smart. Now, do you use the memories much? A little bit. I don't necessarily go to hunt them out, but on occasion your device will tell you, hey, there's a new memory that's been created. Uh, and you know, I'll usually will check those out, but I think I would use more of it if I wasn't already sorting into albums. Right. So if I want to go see like pictures of me and my wife from 10 years ago, I just go to a, a couple of albums and scroll back. I think it's kid related. Like I remember when my kids were young, I'm not sure this would have been attractive to me because I'm like, yeah, they're cute, but they also are making me insane right mm-hmm. now. Right. But then after a few years, you forget about the insane part and you just want to see the cute part. So you'll go back and look at okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So give it, give it 10 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Clean My Mac X. Get Clean My Mac X today with a 30% discount at macpaw.com slash MPU. So do you want to make your Mac as good as new? Of course you do. There's nothing like working on a fast, buttery, smooth device. And Clean My Mac X makes it easy to optimize your Mac and maintain its peak performance. I know what you're thinking. You're listening saying, hey, Dave, do you really use Clean My Mac X? I get that email once in a while. You don't have to email me. I use this app. I keep it running on my Mac all the time. I love the way this Mac app cleans up my Mac. It's got a bunch of useful features like system junk removal module and space lens, which lets you see a size comparison of all your folders to detect those that take up too much space. Uh, I'm managing an SSD like everybody else. Once in a while, I I, I lose control. I lose uh, you know track of things, and suddenly I'm running out of space. Clean my Mac X system junk removal and the space lens just help me take care of that. But it also does so much more. 
Um, it can make your old Mac work as good as new. And it's different from your average Mac optimization tool because it has real-time malware monitor, which works in the background, scanning your Mac for potential threats and notifying you if anything's detected. Basically, they nailed the clean my Mac part so well, and they got the UI so clean, they said, let's add more features. And the malware monitor is a great one that you get for free. And it's not just great for security stuff either. It's a great help when it comes to uninstalling apps from your Mac because it removes both the app and the leftover data to help you avoid the digital clutter. I love that. I hate it when I've got extra junk on my Mac. Uh, Clean My Mac X is notarized by Apple, so you know it's been checked for security by Apple. Uh, you can get Clean My X, Mac X today with a 30% discount. Just go to macpaw.com slash m. P-U. And that discount is only good for a few weeks now. So go right now to macpaw.com slash MPU. Get yourself a copy of Clean My Mac X and make your Mac run cleaner today. And our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Real AFM. You may remember when we did our live shows in Chicago, Clean My Mac X uh, sponsored that. MacPaw is a great company and they've always been there for the Mac Power users. So go check it out one last time macpaw.com slash mpu so let's get into icloud photos a little bit we've spoken about the mac app the ios app how they're different from each other but icloud photos is the service that glues them together so of course you can plug in your device to your mac and sync photos over a cable or sync them wirelessly that's that's really no fun and and it only lets you put new things on your devices when you sync them, right? That's the old way of doing things. Whereas yeah. iCloud Photos, the basic gist of it is you make a change. So you, you make an edit, an addition, you remove something, you do some organization. Within a few minutes, that's synced to all of your online devices. So you import some photos on your Mac and you pick up your iPhone, they're there. Or you do some editing on your iPad like you like to do. You come back to your Mac the next day, those edits are there everything in sync. Yeah. Um, you know, there's the saying, I think Steve Jobs said it, but I don't think he's the first one to have said it, that the truth is in the cloud. Mm -hmm. This is the point of iCloud photos is that you take a picture on your phone. You want it to show up on your iPad and your Mac as well. You want everything to be in sync. And this is something completely different from the original mission statement of iPhotos. You know, iPhotos said the Mac is the hub. Everything has to get to the Mac but Apple didn't make iPhones and iPads back then, and people weren't demanding that their images be everywhere. They just wanted to have one digital shoebox. Well, now we've got multiple digital shoeboxes, and uh, iCloud Photos is the answer to that. It's interesting because everybody was afraid of it when it first started. Apple kind of had a reputation of not being good at cloud sync services, mm -hmm. and suddenly, you know, your photos, you're probably your most precious digital asset. I mean, what's can you think of anything that you'd want to lose you know, less than your photos. I, I, I can't, you know, it, it's just, you know, it's so important. We're just going to turn this over to Apple. Well, I think they've really proven they have the ability to do this. And iCloud Photos is the Apple solution. The benefit of doing it through Apple is because it's integrated into the hardware and the operating system. And, you know, there have been third parties that have tried doing this in the past. They never were able to make a go of it financially, or there were always kind of software engineering limitations. But ultimately, you kind of come to the conclusion, you've just got to use the platform better. If you're on Android, I think Google has a good system for this. If you're on uh, uh, iPhone and Apple devices, I think you need to use iCloud Photos. And 
and it works. I mean, my 50,000 image library, I'm not aware of ever losing an image. It's been rock solid for me and, and really pretty fast. I mean, it's very rare that I feel like I'm really waiting around for it to do its thing. Of course, you dump in 30 new images. It's going to take a few minutes. But making edits or little changes, you can pretty much sit down one device and pick the other device up, and it's there. And what I absolutely love about this is that my whole photo library is with me all the time. Just like yeah. music streaming services give you all the music you want with you all the time. Now if I'm somewhere and I you know, want to look at pictures of when one of my kids was born or our wedding photos or whatever it is, I can find them on my phone. And iCloud lets me do that without having to really worry about it. Yeah. And I think we were talking recently about, you know, the, my initial efforts to use Apple cloud storage, I think with the text file and how terrible it was. But now you look at these, you know, 12 megapixel cameras in your iPhone taking these massively huge files or 4k video and it, iCloud does the job. Uh, it's not necessarily immediate, but it's pretty close. It is. It, and it is, it is cool because not only do you have your photos with you all the time, but you have them in a way that you can make those decisions about your library on the go. You can make those edits, et cetera. And this gets to the usual discussion on the Mac power users. Mm -hmm. I guess we need like an audio text expander snippet <laughs> about Apple charging for this. I I've said it too many times, but it's like, it's, they don't give you enough space for free. And they charge you. So if you want, I believe the current pricing is 50 gigabytes for a dollar a month, 200 gigabytes for $3 a month and two terabytes for $10 a month. And, um, I don't like telling people to give Apple more money, but when it comes to your photo storage, you should absolutely give Apple more money if you need it. Agreed. Totally agree. They should, they should give us more space, but even since they don't, it's, it's well worth paying for. This is the feature to me that, really sells iCloud on people, I think. Like, yeah. you know, oh, like I could sync my contacts or calendars other ways. Like, yeah, but if you want all your photos like in this app everywhere and you're all and you're all in on Apple devices, it's just about a no-brainer. And for the times that you're maybe you're at a PC at work or something, if you use iCloud photos, it's also available on the web at iCloud's website, which I think a lot of people who just use Apple products, like I never go to the iCloud website because I just have it all natively, but it, yeah. it's there as well. And it gives you a, a sort of additional availability into your library. Yeah. And, you know, most importantly, if you drop your phone in front of a steamroller, uh, you just go to the Apple store, buy another phone, log in, and all your pictures show up. Do you see a lot of steamrollers? That's a very specific example. No, I just thought it was very graphic. Okay. I, th I was thinking about, wasn't it David Letterman that used to run over things with the steamroller? I think so. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, I, it could say drop it in the lake or the pool or something The steamroller's like pretty final, though, right? You're yeah, not exactly. coming back. I, yeah, I, I want the A12 smashed into 12 A1s, you know? <laughs> the, uh, another benefit of iCloud Photo is the sharing elements of it. You know, you've got the ability to... Uh, share your images. The shared uh, albums are really helpful. Um, there are some caveats to that in terms of file size, but um, it's one of the most frequently used mechanisms for my family in iCloud Photos is uh, 
you know, every could because because of me, probably everybody's on iPhones. So every time we have a family gathering, somebody creates the album. It used to be me, but now it's not. So it just happens now. Somebody else makes them. And um, it's great to have that shared album where we can all draw pictures in after the event. Now, I know for a long time, those shared albums would reduce file size. Is that still an issue? Yes, still true. Okay. Still true. Uh, and it's, I think it's a maximum. I, I, I gave the specifics in the video, and I recorded that video long enough ago. I've forgotten. I think it's a vertical or horizontal height. They have a maximum number. And there's a difference for panoramics. So I think it's probably um, horizontal length. But either way, there's a, there's a maximum length. And what I recommend on that is just you, you can still use photo sharing, but if you decide you want to print one out, if you're going to make a five by seven of something from a family photo sharing, then you use one of the other methods to have the person send you the original. One of those is share iCloud link, which I think is pretty new. How does that differ from a shared photo album? It's exactly, it gives you an iCloud link to the source image. And it's 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 superior in the sense that it gets you the full size image. It's inferior in the sense that as just a shared album there, we can drop images into and see it doesn't work that way. There's a whole section in the field guide on sharing because there's so many ways to do it now. And on the different platforms, there's different variations. You, know, you get drag and drop on the Mac. You don't get it on the iOS device, but I did a video showing drag and drop out of photos into you know one of these shelf apps. And you can see how you can use it that way. But, you know, there's also, you know, airdrop and all, all. It just cracks me up every time my 78-year-old mother-in-law yells airdrop at me, you know. <laughs> but literally every family gathering will take a picture and she'll say airdrop, airdrop. You know, that's, that's her. Uh, <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, okay. But there's a lot of ways to share um, photos. The only one that has that size limitation is the shared um, albums, but at the same time, shared albums are really kind of awesome. So I don't know really how to you know say that, except just be aware of it. And for looking at the pictures on your iPad and your iPhone, the reduced size is fine. It They still look great. Um, I think the problem comes if you're going to print them, but then ask yourself, how many pictures are you going to print? Hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's one of those things that you'll have to update after WBDC. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready, man. I'm standing by. I expect I'll be doing some updates to shortcuts and, uh, and to this one as well after WWC. Probably. I sure hope so. I sure hope so. But yeah, so iCloud photo storage is, I think, something that I can recommend without reservation. That's not without saying I still think you should have backups and full-size copies. That You, know, you don't necessarily need to rely on it entirely, but it is a, is a solid platform and very convenient platform to keep your images everywhere. Yeah, one of the great features is per device, you can say, I want all my photos on this device, or I just want thumbnails and just download full res sort of as needed. And that's really useful if you have a phone that maybe has, you know, 64 gigabytes of storage and you have a lot more photo library <laughs> than that. Yeah. But the the way that I think a lot of people do it is they have the the full library on a Mac so you can back it up with Time Machine and Backblaze, et cetera. Something else, just real quick, a question that I get a lot is, how do I start with iCloud Photos? Okay, you've convinced me I'm going to do it. What I recommend is, if if you're using Mac and iPhone and iPad, you know, kind of all together, is start with the with the Mac and enable it on the Mac and let the Mac fully upload and then turn it on on your other devices, kind of one by one, because it'll do it. What it'll do is it'll merge what's there and 
And when I've done this for other people, that tends to go the smoothest. It takes a little bit longer. And if you have a big photo library, you got to upload all this to the cloud. This could be one of those deals where like, this is running for a while. But I think doing it one device at a time is probably the way to go. Yeah, I think you're right. And if you have a Mac, starting on the Mac, I think is the easiest place. This kind of gets back to the discussion at the top of the show about kind of library maintenance tasks being easier on the Mac. But you just drag them in and let it let it churn on that for a while. That being said, you can import the images on an iOS device just as easily. Um, well, not maybe just as easily, but you're in the ballpark. You know, you attach a device, you can import them. But there's a lot of, you know, it's just the iPad and iPhone really aren't made for managing the import of a thousand images. It can do it. It'll be kind of a pain. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the editing tools. So we talked about organization, but another key feature of photos is editing. And I think that um, Apple has really come a long way. There were a lot of haters of the Photos app originally because they didn't have a bunch of features that were in iPhoto and Aperture in the original release of Photos. And I understand why that was. I mean, I talked to people at Apple at the time who said, look, we're rewriting the Photos app, and it's got to be friendly with all of your gazillion fo- uh, cloud-based photos, and that's the first step. And then we're going to get these other features added back, and it's been a few years now, and most of them are added back, and some of them are features that we never even saw in the older apps. So I don't think that is a that is a legitimate knock against the Photos app. There is a lot of editing available to you. You've got basic color correction, you've got some filters, you've got exposure, kind of what you would expect. And what's nice about it is I think it's a lot easier to understand than some other photo apps. They're very simple sliders. You see what's happening in real time and you can always go back and undo it. So if you kind of go too far, you can cancel it and give it another shot. And they do it in such an interesting way. Um, So they've got clusters of tools. The first is kind of what I call the um, kind of the crop tools where you can, you can auto crop it to kind of square the picture up, but you can also adjust it. This is a feature that's different on the iPhone and iPad. You can actually change the horizontal and vertical alignment of an image, which you can't do on the Mac, but you've got, you know, all the crop and rotate tools combined. So the first step, natural step is go through and crop the image, make it look the way you want. And then they've got a series of filters, and, and Stephen had mentioned filters, but it's not a it's not a massive set of filters. They're pretty basic, but they cover the essentials. You know, three different kinds of black and white, three different kinds of warmth. You know, just the basics. If you really want to go crazy with filters, you can use third party apps to to do your filters. And then they've got this whole I'll call it you know enhanced editing suite, and it has something as simple as the auto enhance button which you just press it once and it makes a bunch of changes at once to what it thinks it's going to look at. And, and this is using machine learning and, and it actually does a pretty good job a lot of times to get you to an image to look better with pressing one button uh, in the video. I recommend this is for something for people who don't want to deal with white balance, but they just want to make their images look better. I'll say that generally it leans the auto enhance button leans towards vibrance a bit more than you would think, you know, like people who like the way, um, uh, a lot of the Android devices have kind of more robust coloring on their images. I'd say that the auto enhance button on photos gets you kind of in that direction more than the general mm. photos app does. But the nice thing is then it, it actually 
for each of the additional tools, you know, whether it's sharpening or exposure, or brilliance, there's so many of these tools. It shows you after you press the auto enhance button exactly what it did to each one. So you can say, hey, you know, I kind of like that, but I'd like it a little darker. You just go to the exposure, turn it down a little bit. You know, it's it's great. And so for normal people with just a little bit of knowledge, they can do this. And in the field guide, this is one of the areas where I kind of went deep with the videos going through each tool and showing how they work. But I think most people, I mean, this is not inaccessible to people. I did a separate video on curves, and I feel like that's one where people are like, oh, boy, I just fell off the cliff with <laughs> curves, right? You know, I spent a bunch of time studying curves, and even the videos I made on curves weren't that good. But, the, um, uh, but you know, most of these tools here are actually very useful, and uh, I think Apple did a pretty good job of picking the ones to spend their time on. One thing I like about photos a lot is if you need more, there is a, a framework where photos can work with third-party apps for editing. Yeah. Yeah. That is a mix, uh, mixed bag. You know, some of the third-party apps, you go into them, and it's a round-trip export. So, like, you can – and this will work from iOS or Mac. It opens the third-party app, and some of them you get, and it just has all their filters available for you. So rather than having nine fil- or 12 filters to choose from, you've got, you know, 100 which is cool, but then you apply the filter and it sends it back and you're done. Some of the other apps give you a whole edit suite when you go into them. Yeah, I think that could I think that could be a little more uniform across third party apps, yeah. but it's it's nice that you don't have to necessarily like export it somewhere if you're on the Mac somewhere in Finder and then you lose track of what version it is. So at least the open in place can cut down on accidents. Yeah, I, I covered third party apps in the field guide. I've got videos on Pixelmator and Affinity, but they're not like they're not that deep. Mm-hmm. I mean, you open that bucket, you could do a whole another three hour oh, yeah. course on that. You know, I didn't do that, but, but it, it's these, uh, you know, they have done with Apple photos. They've said, okay, we're giving you what we think you need. Um, if you want to go deeper, you can go into a third party app and do that. Um, and there are some great third party apps for some of these problems, like fixing blemishes or removing parts of the background. There's some great apps for that on iOS, even though the photos app doesn't do that. That's another difference. The Mac app does, you know, you can remove a zit on the Mac. You can't in on the iPhone and iPad, but there are third party tools for it. Uh, edits just run deep, Steven. There's a lot you can do with this thing. It is. And it's, you can use the basic stuff. You can step up in complexity as you're comfortable, which I think Apple's done a good job at that ramp within photos. Yeah. Agreed. And everything is non-destructive. So you can spend 30 minutes working on a photo. If the end, you realize you've ruined it. You just <laughs> revert to original and you're good. Yep. Sometimes that happens. You get a little too aggressive with those sliders, you know. But that's the nice thing about it. Because it's non-destructive, you don't have to be afraid to try it. So so much of the fun of this stuff for me is experimentation. What if I, you know, turned up exposure and turn down brilliance. What, what would happen? Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. You know, it's not like I, I'm going to ruin the picture. That's right. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU to learn more or sign up for a free 30-day trial. 1Password is the go-to app for me when it comes to managing passwords and other secure bits of data, my Mac, my iPhone, my iPad. It means that I can log in to any of my accounts on any of my devices using 
all the modern features. If I'm on my phone or my iPad, it works with Face ID. If I'm on uh, my MacBook Pro, I have that Touch ID sensor there. It gets me right in. 1Password 7.5 recently came out, and a big addition here was uh, a tag system that makes it really easy to filter out your items. So we're talking about this in photos, right? Having multiple ways to get to your different photos. Same thing in 1Password, right? So I can have a login. I can have it maybe marked as a favorite or have it categorized as a login or a bank account. But tags and favorites used in conjunction means that it's really easy to find these things if you're like me and you have a whole bunch of stuff in 1Password. That update also makes sorting a lot easier and sharing passwords and documents and other items within a family or a work environment really easy. Basically, you can send them a link directly to the item in 1Password so you can save everyone some time, again, searching. This is a great update because it, it really makes everyday things in 1Password much faster. To learn more, head on over to onepasswordcom MPU. You'll get a free 30-day trial. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off. Our thanks to 1Password for supporting the show. I want to spend a little time just talking about export and backup. Um, these are not overly complex issues, but they are so important that I feel like you can't do a show on photos without talking about backing up. Mm -hmm. And I guess to start with is just the difference between export and backup. Photos has a mechanism in it for you to indiv uh, export individual or groups of photos. And you can use that to export your entire library or, you know, just hit command a when you're in the all photos view and, off to the races you go. But I really find the export something I use more often just to kind of export a package of images for one thing or another. As an example, uh, sometimes in the field guides, I collect a bunch of screenshots and photos when I'm producing them. And at the end, I'll just export them all out into a folder and put them in the archive with the rest of the assets for the field guide. But I don't want to keep them in my library anymore. So that's kind of how I use export. And that export view in the Mac version has a lot of options. So if you have yes. a bunch of images, you can sort them a different ways. You can set the photo kind. You say, hey, I don't want to include any lo location information in this because maybe these pictures are all from my house and I don't want to expose that that data. So it's really yeah. customizable to meet your needs depending on your current workflow. And the most important of those options is the photo size, the export size. Yes. And, and if you're exporting it as an archive or something you want to ever use again, I strongly recommend just saying to original. So it, it exports to the full size of the image. Mm -hmm. You don't want a reduced size export. But if you wanted to make that additional export uh, backup to your Dropbox folder or some other cloud storage solution, that's where you start. You make an export of a specific library and you upload those to the cloud. And that way, if your iCloud library catches on fire and you lose everything, you could always re-import those pictures again and you're you're good. Mm -hmm. Backup to me is different. Uh, backup is just making a backup of the library itself. And on the Mac in particular, your library is is portable. You know, it's on a specific location on your drive. And all you have to do is duplicate that library to another location, and you've just backed up your library. So as part of my monthly backup routine, I have external drives attached to my device that that make a copy of the library onto that external drive. And then that external drive gets backed up to uh, my um, 
my cloud storage and then other external. So I, I've got at any one time like four copies of my photos library on various devices and cloud services. And that's where if you're using iCloud photos, that's really where that check mark of keep all these photos on this device is really important to know exactly. that is correct. Because if it's not, then you're just backing up your thumbnails and a, a small selection of your full size images. Yeah, I, I really was torn in that section of the video of telling people, I didn't want to say you have to check the box to download originals, but I just say I strongly, strongly recommend it. Like um, Mary, your wife, has is a good example. She's got a laptop that doesn't have enough internal storage to hold all her photos. So right. the only way she's going to get her library to work is to plug in an external drive. Mm -hmm. But once you do that, that gives you the magic ability to download all photos. And now suddenly you've got the ability to back up that library. The thing I worry about is people who need that, but still aren't going to plug in the external drive. They're going to forget to, or people who aren't going to be as diligent about it as Mary is. And then they don't end up with, they end up with library problems and no backup. So it's really hard for me to say you must do it, but man, if you can at all, please do it on the, uh, you know, so get originals downloaded and then you're golden. You just make copies of your library to multiple places. How many, how many copies of your photos library is there, Steven? I, I bet you've got two or three probably inside your, your <laughs> Mac pro. I've got it. Yeah. I've got it in my, you know, regular user folder. I've got it on my time machine drive and offsite backup and then on backblaze. There's four yeah. total. Yeah. And then I've got that, that external, the drive that, um, Oh, we have an update I have to share with the audience. Uh -oh. When I reset up my computer, uh -huh. the gaff tape drive got moved to the desk. Oh, yeah. That's good news. Yeah. I sent a picture to you. You were very happy. Yes. No more terrible tape. <laughs> so I, I just use that as additional storage, but I also have a script that makes a copy of the library into there in addition to everything else. So listen, if you're listening and you've got all your images downloaded, there's no reason not to have two or three copies of it. And I've never needed to go to one of those backups, but it sure helps me to sleep to know that they're there. Like you said, out of everything on my computer, that's what's mo the most important. Yeah. Uh, the rest of it would be fine, but losing those photos is something I can't recreate. Yeah. I, I mean, I've talked on the show before of witnessing people in the Apple store that lost pictures and yep. just, you know, crying at the genius bar. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you must have so many stories about that, but. It is. It's real. I mean, there are people out there that lose years of memories every day. Yep. It's really sad. And that is why I want Apple to make it free. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not really about the money. It's just about, you know, user experience really. Mm -hmm. But uh, we've talked about this a lot recently. We did the services show just last month, but I have to believe the reason they haven't done it is just, they don't have the capacity. No. I, I, I don't think this is them trying to, I just don't want to believe that this is them trying to get another $3 out of everybody. Really. No, I don't think yeah. so. Anyway, someday we will have free unlimited storage and I will be very happy. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so you've got a bunch of export options. You've got a bunch of backup options. Use them. You know, it's so important. You want to talk about some of the problems you can run into with photos? Yeah. A couple of things that came to mind in pre preparation for this. Uh, one of these is why won't iCloud update my device? So I took this picture of my phone. Why is it not on my computer? And there are a couple easy things to check. The Photos app on iOS is very sensitive to battery usage. 
And so if you take a bunch of photos, even if your phone isn't in low power mode, it may say, hey, you know, I've paused this to preserve your battery life. And you can go in there into the Photos app and tap resume, and then iCloud will will sync them. Nine times out of 10, when that is happened to me, it's that my phone, without my knowledge, sort of paused my photo uploads. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, if if you have a phone or an iOS device, or even a Mac, honestly, that doesn't seem to want to update and you can't really find another reason, honestly, with iCloud, so many things are fixed by just a restart of the device. And again, something that will clear it up basically the whole time. I've never had an issue either personally or with you know my you know handful of consulting people I work with have an issue where it really just stops syncing and the only solution is like a new iCloud account or something. Very often it's something got paused for battery life or it just got hung up and a restart will clean it up. Yeah, and Photos is one of those apps that puts its settings in the settings app. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's worth spending some time to go in there and take a look at them. You know, one of the things you want to do is see whether or not the cellular data button is checked. Because in addition to battery protection, there's also data protection algorithms in there. So if you're on cellular data, your phone may not want to be sending photos up to the cloud because it doesn't want to burn through all your data. And depending on what type of data plan you have, that may be something you want to turn on or off. It's a good point. Uh, library repair. If you open the app, I believe it's option. This is from memory. So option command, open the photos app. It gives you an option to repair your library. One time in all the years I've been using photos, I got a startup error that said you need to repair your library and it gave me the instructions. So I did it and it worked. Um, but that was a day that I was thinking how happy I was. I had many backups, Yeah, <laughs> but it worked and there was no problem. I've never had a problem since. So, uh, if the app detects a problem, it'll give you it, but you can force that repair by option command, open click. Yep. Yeah. I've never ha- come across this. I've never had my photo library present this to me. Uh, You do see it after a migration. So you move to a new Mac and basically it says, oh, I'm uploading everything. And really what it's doing is it's double checking the sync data. So I think Apple could be more clear in some of its language. Like, no, you're not uploading 80,000 things. You're just checking that they're already there. And so there's some of that language stuff you have to be careful of. But honestly, for an application that I use basically every day with this much data, I really don't ever have any problems out of it. Yeah, I it's agree. very well behaved. No, and it's big data. I mean, these images are huge. Mm-hmm. So, and we didn't even mention in today's show, but everything we talked about also applies to video. So, right. yeah, <laughs> except for some of the editing, but this will manage your video. It'll search it. You can tag it. It does all this stuff for video as well. So, along the way, they also created this as a video storage and management solution. So, thanks, Apple. Thank you, Apple. Uh, so after the show today, we're going to go through kind of the workflow I did in creating the field guide. If if you're interested in that kind of thing, stick around. And otherwise, uh, I hope that you learned a few things today about Apple Photos and you're using it to your benefit. Thanks to our sponsors, our friends over at Devon Technologies, Clean My Mac X, and One Password. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU, and we'll see you next week. Right. After show time. Yeah. I kind of like doing these. Me too.
So you mentioned earlier that you've been working on this for a really long time. Give us a little bit of insight into to how this came together. Yeah, my MindNode file was created in February of 2019 Whoa. for the Photos Field Guide second edition. Um, and it just, you know, I spent a bunch of time using the app and I wanted to really like kind of understand it. I, even though I use it every day, I just wanted to kind of run deep before I started recording. And once I started recording, I just run into a bunch of problems. Um, you know, I guess let's say opportunities, right? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, I took a bunch of footage, but then the pandemic hit and then my footage was a mishmash of different places. And I thought it was kind of inconsistent. So then I had to start over and then um, I recorded a bunch of the iPad footage and then Apple out of the blue says, Oh, Hey, we've got this new thing where you can attach a mouse and it looks nice. It doesn't look ugly. And you can demonstrate with a key, you know, the, the, the advantage of mouse support for the iPad is I can record a screencast and you can see where I'm clicking without me having to manually animate each button like I do on the iPhone. And, and it's like, Oh, so I had to go back and reshoot most of the iPad stuff. Mm. And, um, and then the pandemic gave me the blues and that was kind of hard working through that. And my family is moving. Our entire house is getting turned upside down basically right now as we do this. So it's just been a lot of uh, difficulty in getting this thing out, but it came out really good. And I, I was really happy with it. Oh, and then the other problem was um, I went back and forth about how to organize this field guide. I was like, do I do a video on how to white balance and say, this is how you white balance on the Mac. And here's how you white balance on the iPhone and iPad and make that all one video and call that the white balance video. But, you know, I started talking to a lot of people that use photos and it, it struck me that there are a lot of people that only use it on iOS or only use it on the Mac mm -hmm. and saddling those people with all of this extra video, or even like you'd be tempted to say, well, this is how you white balance and it works the same on the other device you know, saddling them with videos that don't apply to the device they're using wasn't going to work. So it took a lot of, you know, acceptance that I need to make basically two field guides. I need to make one for iOS and iPhone and one for the Mac. And then I got, well, do I make it two separate courses? You know, but I don't want to, I don't want people saying, oh, you charge me twice for the same thing. And, and also, it just doesn't make sense because there's a lot of people that do use both devices. So ultimately I just bit the bullet and said, okay, I'm recording everything for both systems and I'm going to organize them. So the organization of the course, if you go look at it, I learned at Max Sparky, the chapter list, I go through every, well, there's some introductory stuff about libraries and whatnot and taking pictures. But when you get past that, there's a whole series of videos on iPhone and iPad. And then there's a whole series of videos on the Mac and they're organizing that in that way. So you can go through and learn how to organize, how to edit, how to share and, and do all the stuff with your, your libraries uh, on each platform. I, I think that was kind of the only way to ultimately do it. Uh, the, the big question I had though for you was about feature creep. Like, yeah, yeah. you're talking about how to uh, maybe adjust white balance or make these things but like very quickly, you could be spiraling it towards a photography course and not one about, photos was that hard to draw the line between those things this one has a lot of creep i mean there's a whole s segment on image file types there's a whole segment on how to take pictures and uh, the, i do talk about exposure and light and i've got some basics on that i mean this is not going to be a thorough photography course 
But in my mind, there's a group of people that are going to get this course that are not familiar with the most basic photography things, you know, about, you know, how to frame an image. So I wanted to include some basic instruction on that stuff because there are features built into these apps that allow you to take advantage of that. But if you don't understand what they mean or why they're there, you're never going to do it. So I had to give some basics on photography. I think the final product came out as a good balance. I didn't go overboard with it, but there are videos in there about how to take a better picture. And I think that's kind of an important part of this and something I wasn't really able to do with the first course I did on photos. Uh, this this goes, I mean, there's a whole series in there of videos about all the different ways you can take pictures with the iPhone, you know, and it goes through, how do you take slow-mo? How do you take, you know, whatever, you know, feature you want to use panoramic or whatever. I've got videos in there explaining how to do it. And in my mind, there's a group of people that don't know how to do all these features. So why don't I teach them? We mentioned a couple of things in the the main show of areas we wish Apple would improve photos and, and iCloud. Or is there anything else that we didn't get to that you would like to see Apple uh, improve in the future? Um, we didn't mention it. We didn't get in the show about backup on iOS, and that's just an oversight in hindsight. Um, but the best advice I can give with the current situation with backup, if you're only using iPhone and iPad and you don't have a Mac, is to get alternative cloud services like Dropbox or Google Drive and have a backup of your images running to not only iCloud photos, but also to those other services. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like, but you do have the ability to download all, all images to your device on iOS now. And the um, what I would recommend or what I'd like to see, if somebody is all in with iPad and they buy a terabyte size iPad and they want to download all their images, I'd like you to be able to plug an external drive and push a button and make copies. Mm, yeah, I, I think awesome. that would be, that would be, and that's something that they have the existing technology and the operating system to do, but they don't have the software hook to do it. I'd like to see that. Obviously, I'd like to see more feature parity. I mean, like that aspect shift in the um, alignment thing for mm-hmm. the iPad is really awesome. If you want to tilt a pic, like sometimes you take a picture and it's tilted out of alignment, you know, you can fix it on the iPad. You can't fix it on the Mac. Don't understand, you know, video stuff too. Um, I just would like to see more feature parity between them. Um, but overall, I, I think Apple's done a really good job with photos. I'm I'm a fan of this application. That's the reason I made the course. I mean, like we opened the show, it's amazing the how, how much more in-depth it is and how much more important this is. You know, and photos comes at a time where basically only big companies can do this sort of thing, right? If you had, if you had done this, we had done this episode four or five years ago, there are so many different services that you could pay 10 bucks a month and they would kind of do this. Yeah. Like service of the month kind of service. Yeah. And they all know? died. Like photo sharing yeah. services all died because this is complicated. It's big sets of data, right? Uh, I agree with you. I think that's why Apple hasn't been able to go past the five gigabytes for free because capacity is a real issue here. But I prefer it to be in the hands of the platform vendor, right? Because if Apple's doing it, I trust their privacy stuff. I know it's going to work really well with the Mac and with iOS. There's some of those other cloud solutions like Google Photos and even Dropbox. Like they may have a a Mac uploader or they may be able to upload an iOS, but only when the app is in the foreground. There's always some limitations. But with Apple doing it, it can all work in the background and work the way that you expect it to. Yeah. Um, 
In terms of the actual workflow for the field guide, I have kind of boiled this down over the years. I start with a mind map and I just make, I have this massive mind map. I should send you a screenshot of it. And then I am from there, I go to Airtable and I use Airtable because I have some people helping me. Um, and Airtable is a great place where you can kind of put everything together and I organize it there in a bunch of different ways, but it's, you know, Airtable is a cloud-based spreadsheet slash database application. And one of the fields I use is like status, you know, where, where is this in the pipeline, this individual video? And then that's how I know, you know, how many videos I have and that, that Airtable adjusts honestly until release date. Um, like I know this is going to end up over six hours. I don't know exactly. Cause as we're recording this, I'm still finishing up a couple and um, you know, there may be edits or whatever to kind of change the length of some of these videos. And then, so Airtable is kind of like the management place. Um, we use Basecamp between the team to keep track of where things are um, as well and communicate. Um, and then I record everything in ScreenFlow. I get that question a lot is where do I get to the screencast? I use ScreenFlow. Um, I'm a fan of ScreenFlow. I think their edit tools are real powerful. There are definite problems with ScreenFlow. Like I don't anymore use ScreenFlow's iOS capture thing because like they've, for years, they've had this thing where you can plug in a cable and it'll capture your iPhone or iPad directly into the ScreenFlow project. But too many times I've been snake bit by this thing where I look at the screen because it, it mirrors the screen on your Mac when you're recording. But then I'm looking down and it starts and I hit the record button. I can see everything's working. And then I look at my device and record like a 10 minute video and I look up and at some point along the way it froze and just stopped recording. Mm. And I didn't know that because I was looking at the device, you know? And so mm -hmm. I, I don't trust it for that. I use QuickTime. I just record into QuickTime for that with a connected wire. There's a couple videos in here. I had to use the screen capture system on the iOS devices where you can just record because I like, I was taking images remotely and I just couldn't have it connected to QuickTime at the time. So you'll see the little icon in those where I had to use that, but uh, that's the way I capture those videos. Um, but you know, everything works pretty great. I'm, I'm very fast in edits with ScreenFlow. but JF, who's been a guest on the show, JF Brissett, he also helps me out. He'll take a look at the videos for me, make sure I don't say something stupid or, uh, or capture, you know, anything wrong. And, um, and then I have, uh, an assistant who helps me with, in terms of just like getting the production pieces together. I send the closed captioning off. Um, it's actually a client of mine, a legal client who does closed captioning and they, I think I'm their smallest customer, but they, uh, they did the closed <laughs> captioning for me. And, uh, so once I get those files back, they have to get added to the files and, um, actually, as we record this, I'm not convinced they're all going to be closed captions going to be all there on launch day, but they're going to be very close after if they're not, but there, there's like a whole system. Once you get the videos recorded to kind of get everything put together. Well, yeah. And you've done so many of these now, like you said, the efficiency has gotten better over time. Yeah. And I think that makes it where you can do what you want to do more easily, right? You, your heart is in the content, not necessarily the the structure around it all the time. I'm so happy to have switched over to videos. I mean, I haven't really talked about this on the show, but I was making iBooks from Apple. Yeah. And the iBooks was a, a good platform. I mean, it was the most media rich uh, electronic book uh, platform I've ever seen. And that's the reason I was attracted to it, but they had a two gigabyte limit on those books. And it used to just drive me crazy that, you know, I had to like, I'd get to the end of the project and I'd have to figure out what videos I was going to cut or 
where I was going to reduce time just so I could squeeze it into those that two gigabyte limit. And those iBooks books I look at, if you look at them, they're like 1.995 gigabytes. Mm -hmm. You know, I was always at the very hairy edge of it. And you don't want to be at the edge of capacity for any platform because that means yours are going to be the ones that have trouble. Mm -hmm. And these things are, you know, I'm like three, four times the size of that. I'm not at a computer right now where I can tell you the total gigabyte size of these videos, but I think it's around six this is kind of a shot in the dark, so I don't know if I'm wrong. Sorry. But the, uh, but it's like, you know, three, in essence, three times the amount of content that I could put in an iBooks author book. So, like, there's no way I could have done this as two books in one, like the iPhone and the Mac stuff in, a, in the same field guide. I would have had to make that multiple books in the iBook store. Well, and we both have felt the pain of using iBooks author. <laughs> right? Yeah. Just getting that out of your life is worth it alone, probably. Yeah, it, it, it was, um, you know, we don't need to, go over this again but yeah the the actual app needed uh needed a lot of support and it, mm -hmm. i don't think it's really received it to this day i haven't used it in a while now but yeah it, it's it's rough well congratulations it's really Thanks, well man. done and i think people are going to love it i hope so i you know i make these things because it's about the something i'm passionate about and i really want people to get more out of these devices and when it comes to your phones there's almost you know, nothing more important than taking pictures with it. So um, I hope people enjoy it. Let me know what you think of it. Um, do let me know if you share it with friends and family, because I do think this is one, uh, you know, like I'm not sure you're going to get your mom to learn shortcuts, mm -hmm. but the, uh, but photos, everybody could get better at photos. So I'd, I'd love to hear your stories. If you think that was helpful to you and thanks everybody for the support. I mean, this is how I pay for my shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Go check it out.